If you were to look back to the days of Noah, you would begin to understand a variety of different realities that existed in his day. The Bible tells us that the people in Noah's day were constantly thinking evil. That was, that was the, the characteristic of their lives. Uh, back in the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse, here is a description, or pardon me, the, the fifth, uh, wait a minute, six, verse seven, verse five. I should have this written down. That's what the memory does. Uh, it says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The verse indicates this, that the evil thoughts of mankind were of such a nature that they were evil to the point where what people thought about all day long was evil. And so the Lord was going to bring judgment upon that generation. And in the process of preparing that generation for that judgment that was going to be coming down upon them, God sent Noah to be a preacher of righteousness. Now, if you're familiar with this, you know that the time frame that it took to build the ark and the time frame in which Noah preached to the people was 120 years. Now, the longevity of individuals at that time was very significantly longer. And so to have this 120-year period to repent and to turn away from their sin was an incredibly gracious act of God in order to bring people to the place where they would turn away from thinking evil thoughts continually, being a violent generation, and being a godless generation, and turn to the true and the living God and embrace him. None of them did. For 120 years, Noah preached, and people didn't believe. In addition to that, they just went about their business as if no God existed. In fact, when you turn to the Gospel of Luke and you read Luke's account of what things were like in the days of Noah, he says something that's very interesting. You would expect him to, uh, to enumerate a variety of different sinful behaviors, but he doesn't. He says this, they ate, they drank, they married, they gave in marriage. And you say, what's wrong with that? And the bottom line is, there's nothing wrong with that unless you exclude God from the the daily routine of your life. And that's exactly what they did. They ate, they drank, they married, they gave in marriage, they lived life just the way it was without God being there. And judgment came. And you and I understand and we know that that judgment wiped out all of humanity except for Noah, his sons, and their wives. We look at our society today and we say, how long can God allow this trend of going down, down, down 
in our lives and in the lives of the society around us, and quite frankly, more than just our society, this is a worldwide dilemma where the morality of humanity is just going over a cliff, where the murder of pre-born babies reaches into the multiplied millions, where the homosexuals desire to have society look at their perverted lifestyle and accept it and say, it's okay. We look at the addictions. We look at the the pornography. We look at the pedophilia. We look at the incredible crime that's being committed, and we say, how long can God allow this to go on? And I think probably for many of us in this room, we're really anticipating that it's not going to be very long until the hand of judgment falls. But we may be wrong. We may be wrong. God is a gracious God, and he is very merciful. And so we don't try to anticipate with any assurance of accuracy of what God is going to do. But there are two things we know. One is this, that the judgment of God, the wrath that God is going to pour out, has already started. And the second thing is that the purpose for which this wrath is being poured out and for the allowing of society to go the way it has gone is for God to fulfill his ultimate purpose. We find that when we turn to Romans chapter 1. Why is God going to exercise wrath? Well, look back at what we covered last week, and I should say that we partially covered last week. And I want you to notice, beginning there at verse 18, do not forget verses 16 and 17. Everything we talk about begins in verses 16 and 17, and that is the gracious offer of God, of the gospel of Christ, which is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, for our forgiveness and for our eternal life. When we accept through faith, believing is seeing. And we accept through faith what God did for us at Calvary by allowing Christ to take the punishment and the penalty of our sin upon himself so that in turn a righteous God who is the ultimate judge could impute to those who believe a righteousness that comes from him a righteousness that is the righteousness of God the Son who took our sin so we could be righteous in God's sight because of being in him. Those who are in Christ have a righteousness that is acceptable by God because it is a righteousness from God. It's not our puny effort. It's not our work. It's not the good deeds that we think we should do in order to please God. Those are all good things for believers to do as a result of knowing Christ, but those aren't the things that bring us forgiveness or bring us eternal life. 
Those verses precede all the rest. Will you keep that in mind? Because the rest of what we read is not pleasant. It's not easy to deal with. So you have to remember the grace of God first. Then we come to the next question, which is, why does mankind, the pagan man, deserve to perish? And when you come to verse 18, we read this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, if you have your, uh, your bulletins with you today, and if you are accustomed to taking the notes to fill in those forms so that you can study this perhaps later on or maybe the day will come when you're teaching a class or something and um, you don't have a whole lot of time to work on it and you present this and then people say oh wow they really did a lot of work feel free When we come to that 18th and 19th verse, what we find is this, that the attitude of pagan mankind toward truth is one of rejection. And they do so because of their godlessness and their wickedness, as we talked about last week. When we come to verse 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You turn back to Psalm 19, and the heavens declare the glory of God. As you go later into the Psalms, the heavens that are created declare the righteousness of God. And people look at what God has created, and they thwart what they see, and they reject what they see. So that the man, the woman, who rejects the truth of what they see in creation, whether it's in the macro realm or in the micro realm, when they say, we're not going to worship the God who made this, we're going to deny that he even exists, we're going to come up with our own plan, our own philosophy that's going to exclude him, God says they are without excuse. Because they have known the truth. And they've rejected it. So then we come to verses 21 through 23, and we read this. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God, uh, where am I here? And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What do we see? We see man now not only having a, a rejecting attitude toward the, uh, the light that he's given and the truth that he's given, but now we see him even rejecting the very person of God himself, and he does that in a variety of different ways that are listed for us there. First of all, they, they reject what they knew. They knew that this was a, a God who created these things, and he is holy, and he is a, a deity to be worshipped, and they rejected that. They rejected what... Um, Not only what they knew, but the things that they held to, their thoughts became futile. They became empty. Beyond that, 
their hearts became darkened. Just read down through the remainder of that. They became as fools. Did you ever listen to people who try to disprove the existence of God? It, they, they want us to prove the existence of God. And quite honestly, they're not willing to accept the proof because the proof is very easy. Look up, look around, look down. And everything you see is the hand of God. Um, honestly, when, when I think about those who believe that our very existence has come about through a series of accidents, uh, it, honestly, listen, I know I'm biased. I know that. But how stupid, how futile does your thinking have to be to think that we and the horses and the pigs and the crickets and the lionfish and the snakes all came from the same life form? Which, by the way, any true scientist, not a person that embraces scientism, Scientism is a belief system, which is what, what we hear most of the time. We don't hear science. By the way, you, you all know we love science. Science is a revelation of God's creative acts and his behavior and the things that he does. That's science. We love science. And they're trying to make it sound like those of us who are followers of Christ are ignorant and we reject science. Don't, aren't you hearing that? I'm hearing that all the time. Well, are you a Christian or do you believe in science? Yes, absolutely. But I don't believe in scientism, which tries to give answers that it has no capability of giving. Science says you have to be able to observe. Well, who observed the creation? God did. God did. We ought to believe him. Are you looking skeptically at me? Are you with me? Are you thinking about these things? Do you agree with No. <laughs> I hope you agree with me. But it's very possible that you're here today and you don't agree with this. And that's okay for now. For now, but I hope you won't leave thinking that what we're saying is not true. I hope you're not one who rejects truth, who rejects light, understanding, who rejects God. Because if you do, you not only have no reason to live, but you have an eternal separation from God in a place initially called hell, ultimately cast into the lake of fire. Did I really say that? Yes, I did. Not popular to say that today, but that doesn't matter. It's true. And so we have people rejecting God and then asking, why do you Christians believe that judgment is coming? And the answer to that is very simple. Because God said it has already started. 
Look back at verse 18. Verses 19 through 23 tell us why the judgment is coming, why the wrath of God is being poured out. And by the way, this is not the totality of his wrath. This is just a dimension of his wrath, a characteristic of his wrath. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Then he tells us why. Until we get down to verse 24. And then he tells us, you want to know what the wrath is that I'm beginning to pour out? Here it comes. Here's the wrath. Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. I'm hesitating because, once again, I've got nothing. So I can't change this, but the fellas up there are staying with us, so they're going to help us get through this. What does God say is the first evidence of his wrath being poured out? In these two verses, he tells us that God has given man over to sinful desires. Now, let's take a moment and think about this. Paul was writing this letter in all likelihood from the city of Corinth. If you go back and study Corinth at all, you know that there was a temple there, and the temple was to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, I hope that this is not going to fall on very sensitive ears, uh, and I am not trying to be crude in any way. But the reality is the reality. And so, here goes. The way you worshipped Aphrodite was you went to the temple and copulated with hundreds of prostitutes. The priestesses of Aphrodite served the purpose of sexual intercourse with the men who would come, and the purpose in their understanding was that the fertility that was being demonstrated through this sexual behavior would bring about fertility in the offspring of the Corinthians, in the crops that they grew, and in everything that would require a reproduction. Sadly, well, sadly, it was sad from the beginning, but in addition to that, it degenerated, and it just became essentially a, a temple that was a brothel. And you would go, and that's how you would worship. Paul looks at this, and he says, now, do you understand something? When you choose to reject the truth, the light, and God himself, what is left for you is a withdrawal of restraint. The restraint was clearly seen in Corinth. The restraint was being seen, or I should say the withdrawal of the restraint was clearly seen in Corinth. The withdrawal of the restraint was beginning to be seen clearly in Rome as well. And may I add this, that the withdrawal of God's restraint upon the moral behavior of Americans of Europeans, of Africans, 
of Asians, of Australians, is being of Antarcticans. I have to, have to get all the continents. In. Did I get them all? Oh, South America. Oh, and oh, South Americans is being withdrawn so that what is happening is the lustful desires, or I should say the sinful thoughts of their hearts and minds are being exercised to the point of almost no restraint. Is that true or not? Those of you who are parents, and you guys better be different than this. But a date today means having sex. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Now, there are those that don't, but they are limited in number. Just read any of the statistics on how many virgins leave high school. Why do you think that is? Well, the pagan society in which we live today would say, well, it's because we're enjoying our freedom. No, it's not. It's because God has drifted away or, or pulled away the restraint of moral behavior so that a society that rejects him will bring judgment upon itself by being allowed to do whatever it desires. And that's what's happening. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. He is speaking here about heterosexual immorality. He is talking about what you see every day on television and what you smile at. It's what is going on behind closed doors. And sadly, in the Christian community, it is being accepted as part of a modern lifestyle. God says this, I am revealing my wrath upon you as a society because I'm withdrawing my restraint and I'm going to give you what you want and all of the natural consequences that come along with it. He tells us, as we go on into verse 25, that part of the problem here is that people exchange the truth of God for, notice, the lie. It is the same type of, a, of a, an expression that is going to categorize the people's thinking after the rapture takes place. When you read uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says this, following the rapture, those that are left behind are going to believe a strong delusion or God will allow a strong delusion to come upon them and they will believe the lie. What is the lie? That there is some other God or that there is no God other than the true and the living God. That's the lie. There is a creator. There is a God who called into being all that exists, and that God is holy, and that God is sovereign, and that God is loving, and that God is just, and that God is good, and that God is blessed, and that God is true, and that God is all-powerful, and that God is all-knowing, and that God is everywhere present. That's the true and the living God. 
And people today believe the lie that says there is no God. And they're working very hard to remove him from our society. And in many ways, they are succeeding. Beyond that, Paul says, and they, will, they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They pass by the true creator and they worship a God of their own making. Now, I didn't get to this when we were finishing up the third point, or yeah, the third point of last week's message. So let me interject it here. There is a specific reference to people serving and worshiping uh, birds and animals and creatures. And what, what happens is that when people begin to worship those things, obviously they are turning away from the, the, the true and the living God. And then God tells us just how foolish all of this is. He says, in, in the book of Isaiah, he says, they will take their gold and they will take it to the goldsmith and he will fashion a form out of that and people will bow down and worship it. They will carry it on their shoulders and they will move it from place to place and say, this is our God and it can't even move itself. How foolish is that? In another place, he says this. Men will take logs. They'll cut them in half. They'll fashion an idol. They will place it up, and they will have to steady it because it can't stand on its own. And they will fall down and worship it, and they'll burn the other part of the log in the fire. But this is our God. You know, you would look at that and you'd say, that is really stupid. But in essence, that's what's people, what people are doing today. You, you know the gods that... And I realize that there are a whole variety of gods that, can, that people can set up in their lives. But the one that I think is most prevalent today is the god of the human body. How many of you read about the supermodels? And you look at these gals and you say, um, all you have to do is read the news and right there it is. The new Sports Illustrated swimming suit models. Oh, they are just sloppy, ugly looking women. No. They are designed to attract desire and evil thoughts. And then they put on, uh, in, the, in the programs, the um, Victoria's Secret models. Now, the ladies are going, oh, oh. and the men are going, mm. that is by design, folks. They, the ungodly understand what attracts attention. And then women say, why can't I look like that? And some women try. And then they find out that some of those pictures and stuff are airbrushed. And some of them are, are mistaken. And they take an arm off. <laughs> they, they, every once in a while, they'll really blow one of the airbrushing things, and it's great to see. Um, I think today, 
people often join gyms not because of health, but because they want a ripped body. The beach is that way. <laughs> they want a six-pack like I have. <laughs> we had a student here a few years ago. He was really hooked on himself. Specimen of a, of a man, physically. And he'd come onto campus with one of those weightlifting shirts on and his muscles would be bulging and stuff like that. And I just looked at myself and I thought, oh, do you know how disgusting you look? I don't think it was for health, but I can't judge. Today, one of the things that sets the gay community apart is that they worship the body. Men worshiping men's bodies. And we're going to get into that, women worshiping women's bodies. And so there is a false worship that is established because they go right by the creator. And they worship the creature instead of him. Paul tells us that another dimension of that wrath of God that is being poured out is found here in verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions... For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. God gives them up to shameful lusts. And now what is happening is this. And I believe this is a big part of what we're seeing happen today. When people get tired of being absolutely unrestrained heterosexually, they begin to experiment homosexually. Paul is not speaking here specifically about people who are born, supposedly, and, and some of you will, will be upset if I pursue that, and some will be upset if I don't pursue it. So let me just say this. If a person is born with a natural inclination to a homosexual lifestyle, if that's true, I don't know. If that is true, then the, the individual still is responsible to maintain the integrity of moral behavior because those who are born with heterosexual desires, those who are born with pedophile desires, are not free to exercise them. An inclination does not make something right. And what we're seeing today is this, this violent effort of the gay community to try to make things of such a nature that they legitimize their lifestyle when in reality their lifestyle is part of a judgment that's coming down from God. And what are we seeing? I really believe today you're hearing... Listen, when, when, when you hear about uh, kids in the college campus, you're hearing this a whole lot. I am uh, bisexual. I am bisexual. I, I believe... <laughs> And I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I'm here, and so I've got to tell you what I believe. 
I believe that part of that is because some have grown weary of the immoral lifestyle. It is not satisfying anymore, so they're trying other things. And that in and of itself becomes a judgment. So God says this. Part of the judgment that you are receiving is the abandonment of the natural desires that men have for women and that women have for men. Did you all see all these couples that got married in Florida this past week? Aren't you proud to be a Floridian? And here's the thing. It's going to be national. You know that. Because our society is not turning to God. They're turning away from God. And so it's inevitable. I'm just going to throw this in. Years ago, and I may have made mention of this before. Some of you may remember this. This was a number of years ago. I went on a missions trip to Peru. And on that trip, the missionaries that we were traveling with took us to an anthropological museum in the city of Lima. In that city, what we found was there were cases of different societies that had existed in Peru, and there was a tracing of the society by the pottery that they made. And it was really interesting to see this. It was one culture after another after another. And all the missionaries said to us when we entered was this. He said, just observe. Just take a look at the way the pottery develops. And as a civilization would begin, they would make their pottery in the form of, in some cases, no no form at all. They were just utilitarian. In other cases, they would make them like uh, the bottom half of a coconut, or uh, they would make a leaf. Uh, and, and the pottery would be fashioned after things like that. Then, as the society went on, it came to where they changed the, the styles of the pottery and they began taking on animal forms. They would have the head of a bull and that would become like a drinking mug. They would have a whole variety of different forms that then evolved into human forms. They would then have the the head of a human or the body of a human in their pottery. And then it moved on into pornographic behavior between humans. And then it moved on into homosexual behavior of humans. And guess what came after that? Nothing. That was it. Then a new society began. I think what happened was God said enough. That's as far as it goes. Paul tells us this is all part of God's wrath. And what we see happening around us today is not merely the perversion of individuals. It is God warning our society, and every other society on the face of the earth, you'd better turn back to me. Because if you don't, this is as far as it goes. He tells us that the people who are engaged in these things are, they are, let me read it to you. Here in verse 27, it says, uh, likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust." 
for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. Receiving in themselves or receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. They burned with desire. You'll have to take my word for this. I, and don't misunderstand me, I have the privilege of working with homosexual individuals from time to time. And I count it a privilege because as much as we might be sitting here with our noses in the air, they are no worse sinners in the eyes of a holy God than those who are not homosexual and Christ died for them. And therefore, even though I have come down very strong, and I know I get loud because it, it's me, it sounds like I, I'm extending vitriol to, to homosexuals. No. Christ loved them and died for them. And if you're heterosexual, Christ loves you and he died for you. And if you're uh, Bruce Jenner, Christ loves you and he died for you too. You all understand that. So I get to work with homosexuals from time to time. And one of the things that they will reveal is how strong the desires are that they have toward people of the same sex. They burn with a desire. And in addition to that, when that desire is fulfilled, it is often very violent in nature. Now, I understand not everyone falls into that category, but the Lord tells us that this is going to be a characteristic of that kind of a lifestyle. And so what happens is he says they burned for their lust for one another, and then he says, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. What is that penalty? I think part of it is that they pass disease on, but then so do heterosexuals. But they also uh, are involved in not only violent behavior, but, but oftentimes it is... I have to be careful here because I understand I'm really throwing everything into one lump. Um... Sometimes it actually brings them to their knees and they say, I I can't do this anymore. And that's what you're hoping for. That they come to Christ and they find forgiveness. Well, in the final dimension of this, Paul talks about the depraved minds that they're given. Look at what it says here in verse 28. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now, this is taking us beyond the homosexual behavior, taking us beyond the abandonment of moral restraint. And now, what do we begin to see? Pastor Steve nailed it. This is like reading the paper. Look at this. Being filled, verse 29 being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. 
Is there anything in that list that we don't see happening today? Anything. You're rather passive. Is there anything there? Tell me, is there anything in that list that we don't see today? No, there's not. It's all there. God says, do you understand? All of this is part of the wrath that I am pouring out that I want to use to turn you around. But it's so hard because of what we read in the last verse. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I was listening to some statistics yesterday, and it wasn't that long ago that 80% of the American public thought that homosexual marriage was wrong. That is now the minority. Why? How did that happen so quickly? You have any idea? Because the people that we admire have pushed the cause, whether it's in the realm of government, whether it's in the realm of entertainment, and people are buying into these things, and we're thinking this is all okay. Oh, can't, can't two men love each other? Yeah, love each other, but don't get involved sexually. Can't two women love each other? Sure they can. And live for each other's good without debasing the, the program that God established, which is one man and one woman for life, And by the way, just so you understand, God created sex, and it is a beautiful thing. It is a good thing. It is a right thing. It is not dirty. It is not evil. So long as it is between a husband and wife after they get married, not before, not in addition to a mate they already have, not Polygamy. God's standards are the way he wants us to live that please him. And if we don't, he will allow wrath to fall. And it's falling. And so, oh, there's a big thing going on today. Grammys. I honestly could not care less. But some of you may look at the Grammy and say, ooh, I can't wait for the Grammy. I want to see those styles that the the ladies wear. And then they're going to come out and they're going to be showing their breasts. And the men are going to be showing off their ripped bodies. And there's going to be a mutual admiration. And there will be an exaltation of people who live divergent, disgusting lifestyles, and they will be looked upon as the heroes. So it's not just enough to accept immoral behavior. You also delight in the ones that do the same thing. They become the heroes. Oh. Oh. Somewhere in this message I wanted to say this too. Did you all hear Moody Press 
has prepared a book that they will send to anyone who sends them the filthy rag, Fifty Shades of Grey. Just send them the book, and they will send you a counter to that book. And some of you may be thinking, man, I can't wait to see that. Shame on you. I don't know anything about it. I've just heard enough to know this has got to be some filthy garbage. And people are making a big... I mean, I'm seeing it on the news. I'm watching the news, and they're hitting me with Fifty Shades of Grey. What's up with that? I appreciate what Moody's doing. I had never heard of something like that before. So if, if you happen to have a copy of that, I'd suggest burn it or send it to Moody and let them burn it. And they'll send you something that will help you think more biblically. I think that's a pretty good deal. Okay, got to finish. Here's the deal. Most of the people who need to hear what we have just looked at in God's Word are not here. They're not here. Now, it could be that some of you are. By the way, I I didn't even mention this. There's so many things. Um, Well, I'll mention it in a moment. Is there anything in this for us? And the answer is yes. Let me tell you, what we need to take home out of this passage of the wrath of God being poured out on sinful mankind. The first thing is, you are responsible for the light you have. Light being understanding. You are responsible for it. You cannot leave here and and debate whether or not You are going to continue in a lifestyle that is displeasing to the Lord. You can't leave here debating whether or not you are going to surrender all to Jesus. You're responsible for it. God holds everyone accountable for the degree of light, of understanding that they have received. The second thing is this. If you do not fill your life with the Lord and his word, it will fill with wickedness and evil. That's what's going to happen. And there's a third thing. If you toy with a sinful lifestyle, mark it down. God will turn you over to the desires of your heart in order to bring judgment upon you, you'll get exactly what you want. Um, I have a perfect example of that. I was in high school when they took the Bibles out of the high school. Do you remember? Some of you who are old enough. Are any of you old enough? I can remember them taking it. We used to memorize Scripture. We used to read the Bible every morning, and they took the Bible out of the classroom, and look at the wonderful schools we have today. Why do we have to have Christian schools? I'll be honest with you, a lot of people that send their kids to Highlands are not believers. They do not really care for the the beliefs that we hold, but they know this is a place of order. 
It's a place of discipline. It's a place of peace. It's a place of learning. And that has been lost because we've taken God out of the classroom. And I'm really concerned about this. We're taking him out of the military as well. And guess what that means? That is not good. That is not good. Um, God will turn you over to the very thing that you are embracing that is opposed to him. If you are involved in pornography, it's going to get worse and worse and worse until it takes you over and you won't even be able to function properly. Just mark my words. That's what's going to happen. If you are given to immorality, it's going to keep getting worse. If you are, let, let me make this a little bit more acceptable. If you are involved in flirtations with someone other than your mate, it's going to get worse and worse and worse unless you repent, confess that sin, and turn in the opposite direction. That little addiction that just has a little bit of a hold on you will get worse and worse and worse. You can't toy with sin and not have a terrible, terrible effect. And there are other things that will become involved. You'll, you'll find yourself taking um, a downward turn and there will be more dimensions of sin. You run the risk of becoming an ally of God's enemies. And then you run the risk of death. If you're really a child of God and you continue in sin, the Lord will say, enough, I'll take you home. I'll take you home. And that'll be a gracious act. So you can't keep messing things up for other people who are looking at your life as a follower of Christ. So I guess there is stuff in this that we can take. I hope you will.